0: All right, turn your Bibles to Second Peter three. We're going to be looking at verses eight through 13. It can be found on page 1019 in the Pew Bible. Second Peter 3, 8 through 13, 1019 in the Pew Bible. Second Peter 3, 8 through 13. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are, on, that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear from your word this morning, that we might have a greater love and a greater understanding of the return of Christ, and that we might long for that day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's never too early to be thinking about Christmas, is it? No, no. When I worked at Target, I was amazed at how early we started getting trucks that would come in specifically for with Christmas merchandise on them, uh, and, and then it got closer. As we got closer to those to Christmas Day, we'd get two trucks, two trucks at a time per night, with about twenty-five hundred boxes that needed to get unloaded. And they were like, "Get them done in one hour. Let's go," <laughs> uh, which didn't happen. But over and over, it seemed like people were thinking about Christmas earlier and earlier. And and, and it was necessary that we we got the trucks when we did because people make plans and preparations for Christmas early on, right? We, We begin looking for Christmas gifts as soon as we can, right? I'm starting to even think about those things now. We may even listen to Christmas music as the day approaches. You see, the reality of a future event, of future events like Christmas, a time of joy and celebration impacts what we do today. The future influences and shapes the present. And in a similar way in our text this morning, future events, the return of Jesus Christ, shapes and impacts, or it should impact, how we live today. So as we, we consider the promise of Christ's return this morning, my hope, my hope is that it would transform us today, so that when, even when we partake of Lord's Supper, it, we might do so in a worthy manner, but also that we might have confidence and certainty and have a certainty in God keeping his prim- promises as we strive to live a life that pleases him as we wait for Christ's return. So first, and this is in your outline, consider with me the delay in Christ's return. Why is there an apparent delay In Christ's return? Peter answers this question in the the following verses. Look with me at at verses 8 and 9. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So Peter picks up here in verse 8 with another reason that the argument given by the false teachers is flawed. Right? He, he wants to warn the church to, to not be drawn into their teaching, to not overlook certain facts about God. You recall last week in, in, verse, in verse 4, the false teachers, they had two main issues. Two main issues that needed to get addressed. Right? First, they will say, in verse 4, they will say, Where's the promise of his coming? And then, second, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. This was their, this was their argument. Right? And Peter answered their second issue with a reminder of what happened with the flood. Right? Don't overlook the fact that God has intervened in the past. Right, with creation, with the flood. And things haven't continued as they were from the beginning of creation without God's intervention. And now, so he addressed that part, all things have continued as they were. Now he wants to address this question, where's where the promise of his coming from verse four? Because in the minds of scoffers, in the minds of those you may interact with, maybe even in your own mind this morning, There is a long delay. For us, about 2,000 years have passed since Christ died, rose again, and ascended. And now for the last 2,000 years or so, we are waiting for his return. So there seems to to be a, a long delay in Christ's return. And this delay would then call into question in the scoffer's mind, Therefore, it's not going to happen. And perhaps the the Christians were beginning to doubt whether God would keep his promise. Would Christ really return? Has anything ever taken so long for you that you begin to wonder if it's ever going to happen? You've waited for something for so long. We, We might recall on road trips, right? Children, children, what do they ask? Are we there yet? When are we going to be there? It seems like it's taking forever. And so they might wonder, will we actually arrive? Will it happen? Or you might be waiting for some package, right? And waiting for some package to arrive. And day after day, it doesn't show up. And you're thinking to yourself, I thought I had two days shipping. This is taking forever. And then it finally arrives. It finally arrives. You see, scoffers and and false teachers who rejected the second coming of Christ, they said, he's not coming back. Look how long it's been. Some may have been expecting Christ to return in their own lifetime. And so the question then is why this delay? Why this apparent delay? Two reasons. Two reasons Peter gives. First, God's timing is not like our timing. God has a different perspective on time, He has an eternal perspective on time. Notice verse 8 With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. Peter's picking up on Psalm 90, verse 4. It's a psalm of Moses, which describes God's eternal nature contrasted with our transient life, our finiteness, right? From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And we are, we're like a vapor. We are, as the text in Psalm 90 says, we're like grass that's renewed in the morning and then fades and withers in the evening. And in Psalm 90 verse four, we read this. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. And so from, the, from that eternal perspective, When you think of the eternal nature of God, from everlasting to everlasting, when you think of his eternal nature, a thousand years is nothing. A thousand years is no delay. No great delay. From our finite minds that live, I don't know, 70 years according to Psalm, 90, 70, 80 years, maybe longer, from our finite minds that only live on this life for this short amount of time, it seems like a long delay, right? 70 years, it's been 2,000 years. Wow, that's a long delay. And you wonder, what's taking so long? Is Christ really coming back? When we have God's eternal perspective on time, we can be assured that he is coming back as he has promised The second reason, the second reason that we see here for this so-called delay, this long, so-called long delay, is due to God's patience, right? So God has a, God's time is not the same as ours, and now we see God's patience. Notice verse nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, The Lord isn't slow to bring about what he has promised. Christ will return, there will be future judgment, and there will be a new creation. Some count this as slowness. Some consider this as procrastination by God, that he won't act or he can't act. And it leaves some to become skeptics of the second coming of Christ. But the reason for the apparent long delay is due to God's patience. Did you catch that? God's patience. He is patient with you. He is patient toward his people. His desire is that none would perish, but that they would reach repentance. They'd come to repent. God's kindness and his patience in delaying the return of Christ is out of a desire to give people an opportunity to repent. So, because he hasn't come back yet, and is patient with us, I I think it's necessary then to give us opportunity to repent, right? Right before he comes back. So my call to you, even this morning, in this moment, Christ hasn't come back yet. We have opportunity to repent. If you're holding on to some sin, or perhaps you've never repented, or if you're trusting in your own works, Good, do you think you are to make you right with God? Repent. Repent. Repent means to turn away from, to change direction, to turn away from sin and turn to God. We, We are to leave our former way of life and follow Jesus. It's a change in one's direction, a change in one's mind. So turn to Jesus. Acknowledge your need for a Savior. Acknowledge your own sin and your need for the Savior. Jesus died on the cross to rescue us. And when he comes again, we will not shrink back in fear for those who believe. We will not shrink back in fear, but we will be filled with joy and marvel at his coming and enjoy his presence forever. God's patience with you doesn't mean that he tolerates sin, right? Sometimes we can think that way. Oh, it just means you tolerate it if we, we just allow it to continue. God's patience with us doesn't mean he tolerates sin. Rather, his patience is intended to drive us to repentance. And I think this is fascinating. I don't know if you caught it. Because the false teachers view the delay in Christ's coming, of Christ's coming, as an opportunity to live in sin. And as an indication that he is not coming back. That he's not involved in the world. They see this delay in, through those eyes. When in fact Peter makes the opposite point. The delay is due to God's involvement in the world and his desire to see people repent and believe. God delays in sending Jesus Christ in order to give people time to repent before it's too late. Consider then the kindness and patience of God. Second, the outcome of Christ's return. What is is the outcome? What's the result? What's the outcome of Christ's return? Notice verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, even though there seems to be a long delay, in the, God's, promise, God's promise still stands. Christ is coming back. Notice, notice in these verses, in this verse, what Peter says regarding the certainty of this event, okay? Notice the verbs. But the day of the Lord will come, and then the heavens will pass away, and the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be Exposed will come, will pass away, will be burned and dissolved, will be exposed. Christ will come like a thief. This speaks not only of the certainty of the event, but it speaks of the timing of his return. Right? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night when people least expect it. In Matthew twenty four forty two, Jesus says, Stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The return of Christ, therefore, demands our constant expectancy. He is coming at a time known only to God. Peter also gives us here several truths regarding the outcome of this future day. The heavens will pass away, the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. When this future day arrives, when Christ returns, this physical world as we know it will be destroyed and there will be final judgment. When Peter says the heavens will pass away with a roar, the idea here is is similar to what he stated in verse seven, that by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. So this reference to a roar can refer to the sound of a bow and arrow or, or a rushing sound. It can also refer to the crackling roar of a huge fire. The crackling roar of a huge fire. And based on t- context, that seems to be what Peter has in mind. And as a result, the heavens will pass away. The heaven, heaven and earth will vanish. The apostle John, he saw a vision in Revelation 6, 14, and, John, and Revelation 20, 11. Listen to these verses. Revelation 6, 14. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain... An island was removed from its place. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Final judgment is coming. The earth and everything done on it will be exposed. It will be laid bare. The false teachers on that day will be fully and finally exposed. The outcome or result of Christ's return is the destruction of the present world and future judgment. And this promise, this reminder is intended to motivate us to live a certain way. And this is what we see in verses 11 through 13, and we really see it to the end of the book, but we'll focus here on 11 through 13 and then 14 to the end next week. My final point is this, Let's consider now our conduct in light of Christ's return. So our conduct. How are we to live? How are we called to live in light of the return of Jesus? So notice verses 11 through 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter now provides several exhortations for how we are to live in light of the second coming. We are to live lives of holiness and godliness. The return of Christ is intended intended to motivate us to live a holy and godly life life. Holiness, this call to be holy, is a call to total devotion to the Lord. Holy, completely devoted to God, or consecrated, or set apart for the Lord. The opposite of holiness, Peter had described in 1 Peter, it was conforming to the passions of our former way of life, because, but because God is holy, they are to be holy. We are to be holy in all of our conduct. The false teachers were consumed with the indulgence in the passions of their flesh, right, living in immorality. But as Christians, we are to be devoted to God in our behavior. Right? Devoted to God in our behavior. So, so consider your own life. Ask yourself, what would it look like for me to be totally devoted to God in my day-to-day life? In whatever I do. What areas in my life am I conforming to the passions of my former way of life? We're not only, we're not only to be holy, we're to be Godly. Right? We're to be characterized by godliness. Peter highlighted this theme of godliness in the first chapter of this letter. One, three. his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Then he goes on and he says that we, are, we become partakers of the divine nature. We are to supplement our faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, and godliness. Godliness, again, carries the idea of Devotion. Right? It's, a, it's a right direction of worship. It refers to living in a godly way or a Christ-like way. There should be an awareness of God in which our conduct reflects who he is. And we're not only to be characterized by holiness and godliness, notice verse 12, we wait for and hasten the coming of the day of God. Right? When Peter says hastening the coming of the day of God, We recognize that there was a delay in this coming, right? There's a delay in the second coming of Christ. It was due to God's patience as he waits for people to repent, as he gives them opportunity to repent. So there's an element in which we hasten the day of God, though he's the only one that knows this future day. It's been set by the Father there's at least an emphasis on our duty and our responsibility in, in calling people to repentance, you see? In repenting of our own sins and in living a holy and godly life as we wait for and hasten the coming of the day of God. And, and, and this, this is mysterious, I think, in some way, right? Mystery, hastening the day of God? This is actually a common thought within Israel and the early church. We see this in Acts Three, nineteen, and 20. Peter called the people of Israel to repent, turn back, that their sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ. Repent, turn back, and that he may send the Christ. God's people can hasten the return of Christ by repenting and turning away from sin. This is certainly mystery. But what we can see from this is that God graciously factors our actions in determining the timing of Christ's return. We not only hasten the day of God, we are to wait for, we are to wait for it, we are to long for it. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for at his return? Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're waiting for the new heavens and new earth. This is what we should be longing for with the return of Jesus Christ. A new heaven and new earth was promised in the Old Testament and something that we still anticipate. Listen to these verses. Isaiah 65. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. and The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. In the whole chapter you can read about this. Isaiah 65. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. It goes on, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. This is what's promised. This is what we are waiting for at the return of Jesus Christ. God's people living in God's place, a new heaven, new earth, with him for all eternity. We look forward, not just to the end of this present world, right, because it means the end of decay, the end of corruption, the end of sin and death, but also because we anticipate a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I just want to remind you this morning, because I think there's a lot, I think there's some misunderstanding in, in Christian circles of what the new heaven and new earth is going to be like. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. This isn't some, this isn't just some spiritual place where we get rid of our bodies and dwell in some spiritual realm without any physicalness to it? It's not that we get out of what some people call this, this shell, this shell of ourselves, this, this body, and then our spirit or soul is, is liberated from this physical thing. No, 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 no. Consider Christ's glorified body after his resurrection. the first fruits of the new creation as the last Adam. When Christ returns... We receive resurrected, glorified bodies. This mortal body will put on immortality. This perishable body will put on the imperishable. Then shall come the past the saying, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? In a real physical new world where righteousness dwells. Picture the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve dwelling in God's presence in that perfect world, called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You recall that in Genesis one Filling the earth with God's image bearers? And now the earth is filled with God's image bearers, reflecting his image. Picture the Garden of Eden greater. Because now the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As we reflect his image. I had a professor in seminary once tell us. He he was a runner. I thought about this yesterday. I was at at the state cross-country meet. He said something like this to us to drive home this point that I'm trying to make to you this morning. Because we sometimes have misunderstanding about this new heaven, new earth. Are we going to know people? Yes! Yes! He said this. I hope this makes sense. I hope you understand what he's getting at. I look forward to running a three-minute mile. You see? We are waiting for God's promise of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And in that place, we will know God deeper and more intimate. And as I've heard, it takes an eternity to get to know an infinite God. We'll be with him forever. Are you longing for and looking forward to that day? In the meantime, we're called to live a certain way. We're called to live holy and godly lives, lives of repentance and faith that hasten that future day. We are called to remember and proclaim what Christ has done for us and that he is coming again. And and we can do so even here in a few moments, right? Even as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. What we see pictured in these elements, the bread and the cup, we're reminded of, Christ's body that was given for us and Christ's blood that is shed was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins, so that by faith in him, we can be declared to be right with God. And as we partake, prepare to partake of this meal together, there's, there's an expectation of his return, So even as we do this, there's an expectation of his return, that he is coming back. Even as we partake of it, we are longing for a greater day, a greater Christmas, a greater wedding, right? Because this meal is a foretaste of this wedding banquet, of this greater banquet. It It is an appetizer for a future feast that we will have in the presence of the Lord with him and with all those who have been saved by his grace and are declared, have been declared right and righteous with in his sight. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would stir in us a desire to, to say, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. We look forward to the new creation where righteousness dwells. We look forward to being in your presence forever. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness. We look forward to that day. And as we anticipate that great day, we, we hold firm and fast to your promise. As we look forward to that day, would you... Enable us to live lives that please you.